The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, Ford News and Rumors, 10 Tips to Destroy Your Car, What the Heck is Fuel Stabilizer, plus part two of our interview with America's crew chief, Larry McReynolds. All that and a whole bunch more informative automotive buffoonery, right now on Bud's Garage Overdrive. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Tim DePasquale, poster to the stars, and Pam and Dan Welsh from West Virginia, the uh, West Virginia chapter of Bud's Garage Fan Club. So happy to have you yeah, here. Yeah, we are. Absolutely. Thank you, you, Bud. How you folks doing? Real good. Uh, Quite well. Thanks for having us come talk with you. Hey, you made the drive, so we have you live. Or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Our next guest is known as the Blue Oval Man. That would be Aaron Hughes from Green Ford. Aaron, welcome back into Bud's Grot. Hello, gentlemen. How's it going? Good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Good. Uh, I can't ask you anything about the strike thing because it's over. Nope. Strike's over. We'll we'll strike that question. Strike is all over. We're back to building cars again. I've never built a car myself, but uh, we've been selling cars the whole time, and apparently they're building them again, so that's good news for us. For all of us. If you've seen your father build cars, that's why you've never chose to build a car Well, that's usually fixing broken cars in some way. I don't know if we'd say build them. You're good at building go-karts, though. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I guess. What's happening at the dealership? All kinds of stuff. Um, we've got a lot. Of, we do have a, a great inventory right now. And yeah, we've you got do. A, a great uh, used car inventory as well. And it's kind of, a, you know, when the strike thing was going, it didn't affect a lot of the Ford vehicles. It only affected a couple of them. And it, it turns out it was pretty select. They were they also happened to be the vehicles that were in a model year transition. So it really didn't affect the dealers uh, mm-hmm. much at all, to be honest with you. So, so we're in great shape. Yeah, so, we got a great inventory. So you think inventory is going to keep rolling in then? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, we've been getting trucks every day. Uh, and and you, do, you need to remind folks that if they've got a if they've got a business that they need a truck for. That's right. Now's the it's time to a, get it. It is a tax, you know, tax season. Usually November and December, we're already seeing a lot of that. A lot of our businesses, uh, you know, purchasing trucks for the end of the year with the with the tax write-offs and that sort of thing. And we do have plenty in stock. We have super duties now too, which is nice because those uh, those trickled in over the last couple of months. And for a while there, it was very di- well. Really, for the last couple of years, it's been pretty difficult finding super duties. Yeah, but yeah. you got them now. We got them. The Mustangs right. too. Got the new Mustangs in too. Oh, good. A few of them. Yeah. We haven't seen the dark horse yet. Haven't seen the dark horse. Haven't seen seen it yet now i've seen a dark horse i was just gonna say that you've seen it from the inside out tell us about it i have um i had a really crazy twist of fate when i was at this year's petite le mans i happened to uh, i follow as you guys do your podcast i follow your podcast but i also follow a a race car guru uh, by the name of marshall pruitt who's done indie car stuff for years and years and i just happened to bump into him and and he's not a really if you don't know who you're looking for you wouldn't know he was a a writer in that and i just said hey i I, you know i appreciate uh, all the writing you've done i've listened heard your i listen to your podcast i see all your writing in racer magazine and stuff and he hands me a ticket uh, to do a ride and drive, and it just happened to be in the new Ford uh, Dark Horse Mustang. And me and that I worked for Ford, it worked out great uh, that it wasn't a BMW or Porsche or something <laughs> yeah, like right, that because yeah, yeah. they were doing all those as well. So the next morning I come down and I, uh, you know, take a ride in the track. What well, ends up, Joey Hand is the driver who, who drove the Ford GT to Le Mans victory in 2016's one Sebring, Daytona, everything, and uh, just, a, just a wonderful guy. And his son is a, a high-level uh, go-kart racer who I also happen to follow and my son follows, so it was kind of neat. It was just a, a, a tripped into some great stuff there, and, and uh, Joey Hand is not afraid to use the throttle in the new uh, Dark Horse Mustang. And he, he was backing off because we were on the street street tires at about 125 going down the back straight there uh, i posted that video at uh, green ford's facebook page if y'all want to look at that that was pretty neat he allowed me to video it while we were doing it and the track was wet which uh, made it a little more fun for me because joey again he wasn't afraid to, to slip the car around a little bit so that was nice it was a lot of fun and, that, and that, uh, just a it's great car 500 horsepower and, and wow. uh, yeah he was he was lighting them up going out of the pit lane he wasn't scared that's, that's for sure. cool yeah I, I it's a fun car that that car has got a lot of the uh, same things in it that my 
uh, Mach 1 has got. Sure. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about it, was he letting the car uh, downshift its car uh, itself? Or no, he, he was he doing was all the shifting. He was I know shifting. he was shifting, but yeah. how, about, how about when he was... Uh, he did not turn off the auto blip. He even makes a comment about it. He goes, I love that it'll blip for you. So it kind of does rev matching. As a race car driver, he spent you know his whole career trying to learn how to rev match properly. And here he was like, hey, hey I don't have to do that yeah, in this car. Doesn't have to this is great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was, he was having a good time with it. All right, Jim Farley and Bill Ford yeah. are backing down the EV push in, in press and in magazine articles yeah. and stuff that I've seen. They both state, state that politicizing the automotive industry and green agendas that are not sustainable are pretty poorly planned in the big picture, you know, when you're looking five, ten years down. Yeah, um, and, and I think, well, my thoughts don't matter as much as Bill Ford and uh, yeah, Mr. Farley's well, thoughts, to be honest with you. They but do here. Yeah, you know, you've got a company like Ford who our bread and butter is vehicles that are using a lot of fuel. Um, whether it's super duty vehicles, uh, gasoline vehicles, and of course, you know, like my truck, I, I, you know, we have some hybrid trucks out there. My truck has got the 270 EcoBoost motor, so I'm getting real good fuel mileage with trucks, and they've made some great strides in that. The electric push was, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with government, uh, government mandates and tax benefits and all that stuff, and that's not a very good way to. Uh, anytime the government gets involved in any kind of market, it always concerns me, and I think Ford's realized, okay, you're right, this is not sustainable. I mean, you, you've got a, a business here where uh, you know the the world of hybrid is is fantastic. That's a wonderful thing. It allows uh, it allows the, the the opportunity for both. But going full electric is pretty tricky. I mean, we see some Teslas out there, but that's a pretty select market. You know, uh, especially where we live, where you you know, in in the area where I live, I have to drive a half an hour to get anywhere. So, um, you know, it's easily an hour drive. A hybrid is definitely the way to go. If I decide to go any further distance or decide to go or up here in the, in the North Georgia hills, uh, it's not very sustainable. You know, I have to use a lot more power in the mountains and things in an electric vehicle. Um, and, and I think uh, I, I don't think we're different than the whole rest of the United States and certainly the rest of the world in a lot of respects. Well, and now and Ford is selling all of the hybrid vehicles that they can build, the Maverick it's and true. the yeah. Uh, Escape yeah, we EVs. Can't keep and yep. So do you think, I know this is just your crystal ball here, yes. do you think that there will be more hybrid vehicles in Ford's future and maybe different vehicles uh, that, that more geared towards the common man? I do think so. I really think the Maverick was such a home run for Ford because it was an inexpensive truck, finally, because one of the biggest complaints we have from everyone, including myself, is now you get a, a, a normal, regular-sized trucks are expensive. And it doesn't matter the manufacturer. It doesn't matter if it's right, Ram or right. Chevrolet, uh, Ford. Um, it doesn't matter. They're all very expensive. And when they came out with a Maverick to do what a lot of people do with a pickup truck anymore, which is, hey, let's go get a load of something from Home Depot, but the thing's getting over 40 miles to a gallon also, right. and it can do all the things you need um, even if you're pulling you know utility trailers and things it's a great great thing I think that was a home run for Ford um, the crazy thing was you know more more recently you know we have the Bronco which is just been huge the Broncos and the Bronco sports have been wonderful um, and those are you know gasoline motors or turbocharged motors and things full frame vehicles that's been great but then at the same time they went this totally all electric direction with the Mach-E which is an amazing car but if we had a Mach-E hybrid I would sell 20 times everybody loves the car Amen, nobody likes the electric part I of it, it. Yeah. if it were a hybrid I would sell them all mm -hmm. day long I would buy one myself I would buy one I, as well I love the car so, so there you go. talking about Mach-E, the Mach-E Mach -E news, uh, we understand that full acceleration mode can melt terminals on the Mach-E. Have you heard thing, anything about that? That doesn't sound good, does it? Uh, I, I have not heard anything about this. I, uh, I have not driven a Mach-E. I do know that it's only under full throttle conditions. So it sounds like you have to have it at a racetrack mm. in race mode with your under full throttle to melt it. Um, yeah. So it's not much different than melting your tires at the drag strip, I don't think. Right. I think it's a little unusual. Also, it says there's been no confirmed cases of actual problems ah. with it. So it sounds like it's being tested uh you know like it, it could fail like they're kind of being preemptive on it I, I don't i don't think they want people taking it to road atlanta with joey hand uh, after they saw we saw how he drove the uh, the dark horse we don't want him doing that with the maki -E. uh, you know I, I mean i think if you have any dc power source and you run it wide open it's going to get hot we all know this right sure a anything we've yeah. ever done right. so uh, I, I think in this case i guess you can melt the maki -E if you do it just right okay you got time for a quick <laughs> ford patent 
Ford Patton. We have the dog mode. Oh, dog mode. Yeah. Tesla like, already has this, right? Well, yeah, but yeah, Ford's, yeah, yeah. Ford's kind of stepped it up. Okay, they, this they is now have this mode. is not a bad idea. I'm a dog owner now. Um, you guys are dog owners. Uh, you know, if you have your, uh, your dog in a car, basically this allows the air to keep your dog cool, um, that kind of thing. Um, for, for, for your pets. Yeah. It's not, not a bad thing at all. It's a good how, idea. How can folks learn more about uh, cars for their dogs or just cars and trucks? Cars for their dogs. No, not for no, their not, dogs. Not, 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 the not dogs like me, can not. ride in the car. Yeah, it is right, not yeah, for yeah, the Toonses, the driving cats. Right. Um, <laughs> Greenford.net. Check us out at greenford.net. Come see us at uh, uh, 2365 Browns Bridge Road in Gainesville, Georgia, or give us a call at 770-532-5620. Aaron Hughes, Green Ford, thanks for taking the time to be with us, son. Thank thanks, you Aaron. Well, folks, we've talked about pulley systems for vintage Ford and Chevy engines, and even the newer LS engines. Concept One pulley systems also makes a system for Chevrolet's new LT1 direct injection engine, which is available in the uh, new Corvettes and Camaros, as well as in uh, crate form from Chevrolet. This is a full-on victory system available in a selection of finishes and adaptable to whatever project car you're putting it in. Alternator and power steering pumps can be tailored to your needs. And as always, the system fits like a glove. Everything is included except the wrenches. See, these are the only systems I use on cars that I'm building. And let me tell you, Concept One, you don't need to look any further. Check out C1PulleySystems.com for your Chevy LT or other Ford and Chevy systems. Or call the owners toll-free at one 785 5397 asks for Kevin or Randy Red. Ten tips to eventually destroy your car. All right. Well, number one would be let your friend from West Virginia borrow it. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> How about ignore your check engine light? Oh, yeah. All right. So, okay, That's now the, wait a minute. I know you're going to tell me about the black tape. That's thing. what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is covering up the same as ignoring it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, okay. Wow. <laughs> It'll let you know eventually. Eventually. Because if it, if it says check your engine and it's in yellow, mm-hmm. uh, when it turns the red, <laughs> it's pretty much Then bad. that's pretty much yeah, it. Yeah, and if you got it yeah. covered with black tape, that's not good. Mm-hmm. So, no. no if, okay. you, if your check engine light comes on, it could be something very so simple. Right. But if you ignore it, mm-hmm. it could turn into something catastrophic. Cat, right. Cat. Cat. Did you want to spell that? Catatonic. No, that, that's different. Uh, additional dash lights. There are other dash lights on your dash. Right. Um, what is ESC? Escape? No, that's electronic speed control. Oh. No, stable, stability control. Electronic stability, stability control. Stability control. Stab- stability. Uh, we're going to be talking about stability <laughs> later on. Stability control. That's why you were a shop teacher, right? <laughs> What's that? That's why you were a shop teacher. Yeah. <laughs> ABS. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Automa- the uh, anti-lock brake system, not automatic brake system. Yeah, just take your feet off. It'll stop. All right, engine temp, oil pressure, or level. So if all your lights are on, then you probably should start paying attention to them. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> and low fuel. Now, yeah. why, why would you think? I'm going to throw this out to Dan. Other than running out of gas, why would you think low fuel would be a bad thing? Well, just because of what it's sucking out of the bottom of your gas tank. That's it, what it's sucking out of the bottom. And the newer vehicles have electric fuel pumps in them. And electric fuel pumps are installed in this little, what I call, coffer dam in the, in the gas tank. Mm-hmm. So they have fuel around them all the time, keeps them cool. So if you start running that thing and you've sucked all the trash out of the tank and then you suck all the fuel out of the tank, then the fuel pump gets hot. Eh, it yeah. just says, I've had it. Right. And, and now to replace a fuel pump's not like back in the old days, not most a fuel of the time. Pump, not a fuel tank, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, yeah drop yeah. the tank. And drop the tank, yeah. Uh, actually, I've done them, several of them on trucks, mm-hmm. on pickup trucks. It's, easy, it's easier to take the bed off the truck. Really? Yeah, you just take the bed off the truck. You know, if you got a lift and straps and all that junk, you take the bed. You know, How six, about if you just cut a hole in the floor of the bed? I don't know why they don't do that. Put an access, access door. panel. That Why would, doesn't that make perfect sense? Because it would cost five cents a truck. Oh, right, right, right. You don't want to do that. Who knows? Yeah, right. I know somebody done that. Oh, yeah. in a little S10 pickup, just cut a hole in the bed. And yeah, yeah. We can change it once a week if we want yeah. to. Yeah, Go ahead. Run it and if you fuel. cut the if you cut the hole with a torch, <laughs> you don't have to worry about nothing. <laughs> if you're going to cut the hole in the bed of the truck, do it when it's not over the fuel tank. Okay. 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 All right. After, before you put it back on, after Details. you've repaired the pump. 
details. Yeah, there's little tiny details that can mess you up. Hitting curbs or speed bumps without slowing. Oh, yeah. You know what that does, Pam? Put your car out of line because I've been there, done that. Ah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've actually seen it in slippery weather bend wheels on people's cars where they slide into oh, the curb. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or break them. Yeah. yeah. Break them. Oh, right. yeah, with the alloy wheels. Oh. Break the wheels. That's uh, Topping off fuel. Now, I did not know this. Topping off your fuel, I just thought it makes a mess when you top it off. But in certain cases, it can... It can mess up your car carbon canister. Now you're talking about the, after it has, after the pump has clicked yep. off. And when it clicks can, off, let it be. You continue to because you, you want to get, get it to the next even right. thing. If you're like a knucklehead, or just get another quart of gas in there so you can go a little bit further. A little bit something. further. But those that liquid fuel can go into the carbon canister, which is part of the evaporative system for your fuel, mm -hmm. and uh, it can clog that canister up. Okay. And that charcoal filter is kind of expensive. Oh, all right. And they usually put them in a place where you got to be pretzel man to get at them, and mm -hmm. so you've got all this other uh, expense with it. Uh, proper wheel and tire combinations. We've talked about this. You see this all the time. You what see the... some goofy cars out there, folks? Oh, my. The damage you can do with your mama's credit card at a tire store. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, luckily, if you read the owner's manual, which... You know, <laughs> mine's still wrapped up in both my vehicles. Right. But if you read the owner's manual, it does have recommendations for the next size up wheel and tire combination mm -hmm. that's made for your car that won't upset. I had somebody ask me this week, I'm going to lower my car and do this and that. I said, before you do that, make sure it's not going to affect your ABS and your speed sensors and all this kind of stuff. Because as soon as you start monkeying with tires and wheels, the computer can only handle what's in a certain window. Yeah, so what happens when you lift your truck and put 33s on it and all that? What does that do to all that? You may as well just kiss the warranty goodbye. Okay. Yeah, that's where common sense ain't so common. Mm -hmm. I got it. I got a picture of one that I took that I'll, yeah. I'm going to post this week before we put the show on the air of this truck. Okay. And it, it is so, the body is so high on this truck that if you took a quick turn it just lay over on its side. It wouldn't have any. It wouldn't have any choice. Really. And that's just stupid. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that's my opinion. Keep it clean and rust-free, and avoid pressure washing. Now, what's up with that? Nah, that doesn't mean avoid the car wash. Uh huh. Okay. The car wash is, you know, they have the pressurized nozzles. Yeah. But they also have the waxes and stuff. And when you use that, you know, the you pressure wash or you you wash it with the nozzle at the car wash. What I'm saying is here, don't use 3,500 pounds pressure off your... Well, but your... that really gets the dirt off. Yeah, really. yeah, and the paint. And the paint. <laughs> and, and it can knock chrome off. It can take, you know, it can take plastic trim off. Right. But when you take it and you go to the car wash, either the brush wash or the, the spray thing, all those waxes and stuff get be, you know, they, they get the stuff out from behind the trim, but then they all, it also seeps in there and helps to protect okay. the vehicle. All right? I'm just saying, you know. Windshield cracks and chip delamination. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is part of the structure of the car, the windshield is. When they're, wind, when they're, when they're uh, crash testing, not wind testing, crash testing these vehicles, that's part of the shell. That's why you have to use special glues and stuff to put the windshield mm -hmm. in. Duct tape won't fix it. No. So. All that safety stuff is all through the... Oh, yeah. A lot of it's in through the windshield. It's in through the windshield. And, uh, you know, after you get the windshield replaced, you have to get the windshield recalibrated because all your sensors and stuff are in there, your lasers. And a lot, of, a lot of cars or trucks have a little plastic box up near the roof. All that stuff is shooting through the windshield, and you've got to get that all fixed again. Mm -hmm. So, eh, good stuff. Pet and kid-proof your car. Yeah, this is a tough one. When you got yeah. goats, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and trying to chicken-proof a car is... <laughs> Very difficult. Yeah, it's a good place for them to get up away from other pets where they can start laying eggs and then sitting on them. If you've got a car that you don't drive daily, we found that we had a chicken that uh, was laying eggs up there on the cowling between the hood and the windshield. Do they prefer a particular kind of car? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess whatever you Whatever chicken can whatever. get in, right? <laughs> Did that clog up your eggs? It was a coupe uh, de Your Ville. exhaust? I, I don't know. Exhaust. Coupe de Ville. A coupe de Ville. All right. A coupe de Ville. All right. <laughs> you got one. Oh, boy. <laughs> test and replace. Test your battery every six months in a car. And testing it how? To see if the car still starts? 
Well, that's one way of testing it, but you can also take it somewhere and get it tested. Mm -hmm. I know um, a lot of local garages, including the one we have here in Gainesville, you know, Oakwood Tire, they've got a thing that tell you how much battery life is left in your car. The point I'm getting at here is the manufacturer doesn't necessarily put the Mondo best battery in your car as it comes down the assembly line. Okay, so if you wanted to have a little tester to test your own battery, what would be the name of the tool that you would buy to be able to test your own battery? It's a it's a load tester. A load tester. It's called a load tester. Okay. It's getting time when we need to put fuel stabilizer, stabilizer, or whatever I was trying to say. Stabilizer. (laughs) Fuel stabilizer uh, in your mower, and Mm -hmm. do you know what purpose that serves, Tim? Tell me what purpose that serves but oh i thought you were going to tell me that oh I thought you... <laughs> all right don't bother telling me i will tell you what it does is it properly lubricates the um and stops the passages in your carburetor or fuel injection system uh say you've got a fuel injected lawnmower mm-hmm. from getting gooed up with varnish with varnish because okay. the wonderful gas that we can now buy nowadays it's got all the different stuff in it so you can just green beans or whatever else is in it it becomes varnish after. So you can pour just some stabilizer the in with amount. the yes. fuel. Oh, there is an amount. There gone. is an amount. And they actually recommend, the manufacturer recommend you run your lawnmower or whatever out of fuel. Mm-hmm. Put the stabilizer in first so it can kind of seep into the fuel system. Yeah. Then put the gas in. Well, if you run it out of fuel. Unleaded then, gas. If you run it out of fuel, then what's the need of putting anything in it at all? Because moisture and stuff can still get in. Okay. And then little cracks and crevices and float Mm -hmm. bowls and and gaskets and things, especially like a chainsaw where the stuff is really small. Well, i got to tell you, though, Bud, ever since I I used to have problems like that all the time with the chainsaws and the string trimmers, and I started using the canned gas, which I know it's more expensive, but I have saved so much money by not having to take them to get repaired every spring before I can use them again. It has something to do with mixing it, Tim. Is it? Yeah. It's not a shot for you, a shot for the lawnmower. It's all supposed to go in (laughs) to the can, all right? Oh, now you tell me. you got to read the warnings on the package. I did not know. I've I've taken care of the problem. Everything I got is electric now. I'm I'm moving in that direction. I just, you know, as my my string trimmer gave up, I'm not yanking this thing anymore. I just got a new electric string trimmer because I figure is... When the battery runs out, I'm ready to stop anyway. Yeah. I haven't used it. And how many cords did you cut in half with the, the other string? Oh, my goodness. Have? And, that, the and that's the other thing is changing the string on a string trimmer. Oh, so easy That's now. no joke on some of those older ones. Oh, yeah. You got to be you got to be Mr. Well, it's like, OK, I'm out of string. So I'm done yeah. until I take a whole separate hours long. Now you just slide it through the head of the string trimmer bring it out the other side and make it equal and then you got the little thing you crank and it and it it loads itself wow that's pretty cool that sounds great we need to get you one of those okay all right well we were talking during the break all mm-hmm. during the show about bumper stickers and one of the reasons we want to talk about bumper stickers is they're funny but uh dan and pam do a lot of traveling in the motorhome and Tim and I see them on the expressways. Uh, oh yeah. There, there should be. Eh, I don't know how you. Rest- I don't know how you make a, a law about bumper stickers, but it's a common sense thing. Mm-hmm. Some things just don't need to be on a bumper sticker. If you got to try to explain it to your grandkids and you can't, right? Or you've got to hope they don't see that word. Don't put it on your bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, Pam did a deep dive into the history of bumper stickers. And, you know, she put her heart and soul into this, this portion of the show. Oh, yeah. It's all on you, Pam. Go you got it, it, Pam. Well, I did find out when they started and who started it. I had no knowledge of this. It's a gentleman named Forrest Gill. He's the man who technically invented the first stickers for the car bumper, and that was in the 1940s. So that's how long it's been ever since that car stickers have made it so that People can make a statement to other people that they don't even know without saying a word. And when you're talking about the kinds that are on that, that can either be for humor, Mm -hmm. it can be an instigator of road rage we're seeing in this day and age. I don't think that was so much maybe in the 1940s, but I think you were completely right when you said, think about what you're putting on the um, bumper, because that's kind of your word. 
Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, you know, like for what we used to see, I may be slow, but I'm ahead of you. That that would be a road rage yeah. instigator. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it would be now. Yeah, yeah. And it used to be, you know, it used to be that you get a chuckle out of that. Yeah. Now, right. I was I was talking about leaving Sebring um, a few years ago, leaving the racetrack, and we were behind a van that had a rickety trailer behind it and just an equally ricky, rickety. A race car on it and I thought these poor guys you know they've been to track all week mm -hmm. they've been living in this van <laughs> and they had a WWJD sticker on the back okay and oh, if yeah, you read good. if yeah well, you know that's fine if you read real close underneath it though it said who wants jelly donuts <laughs> now it might upset somebody in the church parking lot <laughs> but in that environment I thought man you'd yeah. be jonesing for a, a, a you know a jelly donut so bad after living in that van for so oh, long sure yeah <laughs> Uh, how appropriate. No, you know what I thought would be appropriate, Tim? Marriage is grand. Divorce is a hundred grand. <laughs> you don't you fail to see the humor in that, huh? Yeah, well, no. Not Since when you, is it a hundred grand? Right? Yeah. Once you've been there, my friend. <laughs> uh, uh, how about... Now, this I don't think this one's bad. Nobody cares about your stick figure family. Yeah, right. Well, that's pretty much in your face. It's... You know, I try to stay off of the negative things, but I, I like the, I like that one below there. You know, uh, yeah. It, it, what do you think? There's so many people that don't use their turn signals. You know, I bet Jesus would use his turn signal. Yeah. Well, let's hope so. Yeah, let's hope so. Alcohol and calculus don't mix. What do you think, Pam? I think that's a real good one. That's a real good one. Don't think, drink, and derive. And derive. Yeah, that's oh. what, that's what calculus would be yes, all about. Yeah, okay. well, Don't drink and derive. All right. Well, that's a good one. Now, this one, I wasn't. Well, I can relate. My wife told me something that I'm not listening, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> this was on the back of some guy's race car. <laughs> what do you think, Tim? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't talk when I'm driving. Mm -mm. No, me either. I don't talk, and I, I, you know, I'll listen to I'll listen to a book sometimes. Are Are you talking when you're driving, Dan? I'm not. No, Dan. Are you being Are you being talked to? <laughs> uh, pretty regularly. Okay, I could believe that. Here's what happens to me, and I I gotta ask you, Pam. This might just be a girl thing, okay? Jan will carry on a complete conversation with herself, apparently, while I'm driving and then ask me a question about her conversation that I wasn't part of to begin with. <laughs> say, what are you thinking? I'm, what do I think about what? <laughs> We're in the same space. You should always be listening to people in the car. <laughs> I am if I want to get where I want to go, because she oh, knows yeah. direct, I'm, me and directions. I'm, the dire no, I'm no. always telling her well, where to she's, go. She's no. my navigator. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I absolutely. am her navigator. Well, I'm just trying to stop us from getting killed and avoiding people. Uh, now, you can relate to this, Pam. I believe in dragons, good men, and other fantasy creatures. There are good men. Don't go that oh, okay, way. Okay, <laughs> okay. Tim. Yes. You got one you can share that we can use on the air? Um, well, you know, on the back of a tractor trailer, uh -huh. the most famous one was leg check 45 feet ahead. Now, you would probably not understand that nowadays. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right. But during the miniskirt days, mm -hmm. when my uncle had a tractor trailer, yeah. I rode with him every chance I got. Uh huh. I'll just let you figure out the rest when you're up there. <laughs> that, when you're up there in that cab. Yes, ma'am. Well, that is true now because some of those older bumper stickers, uh, people might not even know what you're trying to say. N so that's there right. There may be another reason somebody could be easily offended. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or this one I like too because this is a man thing. Yes, it's fast. No, you can't drive it. Ah. Uh -huh. Okay. And one of those really nice new cars that go fast. Um, <laughs> how about the minivan one? The one that's famous on the minivan, Tim? Oh, yeah. I used to be cool. I used to yeah. be cool. <laughs> We've all been there. We've all uh -huh. been there. Well, if you got some more, send them to us. Oh, we'll yeah, we'd love to see them. Oh, yeah, well, they, they, these are good fun. But I can tell you this. I'm going to give you nine careers, okay? Not jobs. These are career categories that you can get training at Lanier Technical College here in Georgia. Automotive and transportation, building electrical and manufacturing, business, cyber and computer, engineering, healthcare, personal and public service, public safety, and general studies. These programs have a wide variety of 
choices within each program. And they have five campuses. Uh, and they're available campus-specific, but Lanier Technical College is the only place you need to check out to look at all the varying careers they got going on. Check them out at LanierTechnicalCollege.edu. As you recall, last week we did a podcast with Larry McReynolds, Part 1, and we had a NASCAR historian in here, a local guy that we know. His name is Cody Dinsmore. He works at the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame, and he's been in, around NASCAR his entire life. But he, he came in and did the interview with Larry McReynolds with me. So, the last week we, we talked with Larry, and we got up to the 80s and 90s. With Larry McReynolds, we were talking about... Uh, you know, getting up to the cup level, actually getting to the um, the point where he left Kenny Bernstein and went to Robert Yates Racing and beyond to Dale Earnhardt and then eventually into broadcast. So that's where we're going to pick it up today. So you're with them. This is your first year. How are, how are we progressing through the season, through the years, and through the changes? Well, you know, I was with Robert Yates for uh, the better part of six years. And I mean, it, it was it was pretty magical from the beginning. I mean, the first race together at Darlington, we finished second. We, we I think we went to Bristol and finished third. We finished top five at Wilkesboro. And then we go to Charlotte. We led every single lap from the pole of the all-star race and then came back and won the Coke 600. We won Michigan, we won Sonoma, and then we went a while without winning a race, and we won Rockingham in uh, Phoenix, I think it was, back-to-back at the end of the year. So we won five races, the All-Star race, and uh, Davey, I think, ended up finishing third in the points. 92, we came out of the box with guns ablazes. We went, We won the Daytona 500. We won... Talladega, we won North Wilkesboro, we won Michigan, and then Davey got hurt at Pocono in the, the July race. That's when he barrel rolled down the back right, straightaway, yeah. mm-hmm. had to have surgery on his arm. So we spent the next several months just trying to get him back healthy, but lo and behold, we came back and won the Phoenix race, the next to the last race of the year before Atlanta, and took the points lead back, and then went to Atlanta and uh, got caught up in a wreck and ended up losing the championship to Allen and Bill. We uh, came out of the box in 93 and won Richmond, I think, which was race two or three. But then we kind of lost our way. Just about the time I think we, we found it, we finished third at Loudoun, New Hampshire. Unfortunately, the next day is when Davey was killed in a helicopter crash. And honestly, we didn't really know what we were going to do and where we were going to go. We went through a few drivers and then they put Ernie Irvin in that car and it was magic all over again. He did not feel the void that we were all feeling with the loss of Davey. I, I didn't, yeah, I, when, I, when we lost Davey Allison on July 13th of 1993, I lost the race car driver I was having a ton of success with, but I lost my best friend. But when we put Ernie Irvin in that car, it was, the sky was the limit. The first race was the Southern 500 Darlington. We finished fifth. We came back a couple weeks later. I think we led almost 400 laps of 501 Martinsville. We came back the next week at Charlotte and led 328 of 334 laps. The only laps we didn't lead was the six through transition of green flag pit stops. And we could absolutely not wait and to get to get 1994 started. We finished second in the 500. We were starting to win races. I think we won Richmond and Atlanta back to back. We just dominated Sonoma and August race in Michigan. When you least expect an issue, we had that practice crash and not only did we weren't sure if Ernie was going to be able to ever drive a race car again at that moment, we didn't know if he was even going to survive it. Right. And uh, came back in 1995 with Dale Jarrett. We did win Pocono, but that's what ended up Dale Jarrett becoming the driver for the second team that we started in 1996. 
Ernie comes back and he actually ran a few races in 95 and came back in 1996 and we won Loud, New Hampshire in uh, July and came back and won Richmond. And then we started that second team and Dale Jarrett, heck, he won, I think, four races, including the Daytona 500 and was a championship ship contender. So the first year with two teams, heck, we, we won six or seven races. And the uh, biggest thing is Ernie came back and was competitive again. Heck, he came back and won the dual race at Daytona in February of that year. Amazing stuff, but Larry was burning the candle at both ends at that point. Well, and it's, it's what ended up leading me to go to Richard Childress Racing. Because, you know, Robert, my biggest, if I have one major fault, I don't, how to, I don't know how to say no. I don't know how to say I can't do that. I don't know how to say I won't do that. I, I'm, I'm a glutton for doing whatever it is I think I might can do and maybe things I don't even know if I can do. And Robert had challenged me to still be the crew chief for the 28 car but he also wanted me to kind of be team manager, competition director, be the be the uh, the thing that connected those two teams together. Not only was I getting the 28 car ready for 96, got all the people hired for the 88 car, got their cars ordered. No doubt, I was burning the candle at both ends. Plus, just everything, I think I was, as 96 was coming to a close, I think I was not only burned out mentally, but I was burned out physically and mentally. Sure, sure. Burned absolutely. out physically from everything I was doing, burned out mentally because of everything we had been through. Lost Davey Allison, July of 93, built the 28 back with Ernie Irvin, then we're shoved back down again. He gets hurt. And I, I, I don't... I can't sit here and tell you we were going to win the championship in 94. I just don't know how we were going to lose it. Right. It was it come down to the three and the 28, nip tough. And I felt like we had the three car exactly where that we wanted. And, and then he gets hurt. Then we build it back. And then about the time I'm really feeling this way, Richard Childress and Dale Earnhardt come to me and won't know if I'd, I'd entertain going to work and becoming at Dale Earnhardt's crew chief. As hard as it was to leave Robert Yates, it was it was nothing. Robert Yates was one of my best friends, but I just was ready for a clean start, just ready for a fresh beginning, and that's when I went to Richard Childers' race and started punching a time clock, which was hard to do. <laughs> I, I I didn't punch it, but I watched. I understand. The guys, I understand. <laughs> watched the guys punch, it, and that was a big adjustment for me. So after your time, you know, we lost Dale. Um, actually, we lost Dale right after you went into broadcasting. Tell us a yep. little bit about your, your last race with Richard Childress and then your first race in the broadcast booth. Well, I, I finally made the decision, along with a lot of input from my wife, my family, to make the transition to the Fox broadcast booth. Uh, and it was the hardest decision still today that I've ever had to make in my life because I'd been a crew chief for 18 years. I never saw myself doing anything but being a crew chief, but this was a good opportunity. And the good thing about it, Fox was not really offering me any more money. So I, 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 I like that because I could lay that part aside and just make the decision on what was best for Larry McReynolds and his family. Correct. And I think there were two or three reasons I, I finally made the decision in July of 2000 to take the deal. They had actually offered it to me way early in 2000. It finally got to a point they came to me and said, we have to have an answer. And there were several reasons I, I feel like I, I did it. One, I felt like if I didn't take it, that opportunity would never come back my way again because it was going to be a very small number of people that was going to do this. I feel like that if I didn't take it, I would always look back over my shoulder and wonder what if. And you know what? They were offering me a two-year deal. If I took it and they didn't like me or I didn't like them, I could go back to being a crew chief. 
but I got to say it's a decision I made, uh, and I've never looked back. 23 going on 24 years later. Uh, but it was hard. That final race in Atlanta, I was glad we were very competitive that day with Mike Skinner in the 31 car, November 2000. We led some laps. I think we ended up finishing seventh. But it was very hard to climb off that pit box knowing that was it. That was it. But I have been back on the pit box twice since. Tell us about uh, that. A little over a year ago with Richard Childress Racing, with the three car in the Xfinity Series at Talladega with an Earnhardt, Jeffrey Earnhardt. And lo and behold, we sat on the pole and finished second. And then just a few weeks ago, Daytona, I went back and crew chief my son-in-law, Jordan Anderson, with a third Xfinity Series car with his organization and uh, his first race back since his, his accident at Talladega last fall when he was involved in that fire. And uh, we had made our way to the top 10 at the white flag and he got caught up in a wreck there at the checkered flag ended up finishing 15th. So I have been back on the box a couple of times, which I really thoroughly enjoy. That's pretty cool. Larry, do you have any input uh, or any uh, recommendations, suggestions with Jordan's team since you're, you know, that is family? You know, I, I try to stay in my lane. I try to, to know that I'm a broadcaster and, and we've got a lot of ties with NASCAR within my family. My son, Brandon, is a spotter for Ross Chastain in Cup. He's a spotter for Parker Kligerman in Xfinity and when Parker runs trucks. He works with Doug Yates and Jeff Clark. They have a company called Clear 28. That's an agency that represents Cole Custer, Noah Gregson. They do some work with Jack Wood and uh, Chase Briscoe. But I try to separate it. If Brandon comes to me and, and wants some advice, or wants me to give him some feedback, I'm there. If Jordan calls me, and he called me just a couple of nights ago to run something by me, I'll give them all the advice that I they, they're, they're looking for. But I'm not gonna be the guy that go, goes medals in their business. And I think we all three do a good job of, of separating. You know, uh, again, I tell Brandon, don't you tell me anything unless you want me to know it, don't put me in a compromising situation because of what I do as a broadcaster. So we're there for each other, but we also, we stay in our lane. And I think the transition, uh, just viewing it as an outside person, the transition from crew chief to broadcasting and the knowledge that you brought to the audience when you did the cutaway cars and things like that, we knew, uh, us knuckle draggers knew the, what you were talking about, you'd had your hands on. You know, there there was no, it wasn't anything you were reading. You knew how the car was built. You knew how, you know, what the pieces were, what the parts were. And I think that gave you a tremendous amount of credibility with the uh, listeners. Well, and it, it's the thing I have to work the hardest at even today. Because being removed 23 years it's one thing that I appreciated, even though it was Xfinity Series, of getting that opportunity to go back and do those two races over the last year and a half. I felt like it, it gave me an education and kept me fresh. But it's something I have to work very hard at because I'm not just going to mail something in. I'm not just going to go on the broadcast and pretend I know what I'm talking about. I spend a lot of time at race shops. I spend a lot of time on the phone with, with engine tuners and engineers and competition directors and crew chiefs, knowing that I have to stay in the game. If I want to stay in the game, I've got to stay in the game. Oh, absolutely. And that's yeah. making sure I'm up to date with everything that's going on. We're very different from stick and ball sports. You know, you can walk away from football or baseball or basketball for a few months come back and not very much has changed. You walk away from this sport for more than about two weeks, these damn things have eight tires and wheels on them and you <laughs> won't even know why it happened or what they're doing to you. I have to work at that every single day, but I enjoy doing that sure. because I do want to be fresh. Well, there is no off season in racing and there's certainly been no off season for Larry uh, over the years. 
What, what prompted you to write the book? I know the book came out as you were doing some of this transitioning between broadcasting and, and, and crew chiefing. What, what prompted the book? Well, I've actually written three books. And trust me, um, a book is a hard thing to write. Mm-hmm. And um, there were times writing that first book that we wrote back in 0102, David Bull, the publisher who is now deceased, uh, he's the one that came to me and said, I think you've got a great story <clears throat> and I want to be a part of the journey of, of you telling it. And he hired a ghostwriter by the name of Bob Zeller that wrote the book. And it took us over well over a year to write that book because I wanted it to be right and I wanted it to be accurate. Um, there were times I wanted to give it up. It's like, this is just too hard, it's right. too much. But I know when that FedEx box came and it had that book in it that we had written, that was a reality now, that was pretty darn cool. And then David Bull came back to me a few years later and wanted me to write a technical book that was to help the Saturday night short track racer right. with the base of a race car. And it was titled How to Become a Winning Crew Chief. And then another uh, uh, writer, uh, publisher came to me. This has been about six years ago and wanted me to write a book that kind of picked up where I left off with the first book. And it was called The Constant Pursuit of Perfection. And it was more, it kind of recapped a lot of my transition to becoming a broadcaster, but a lot of things that's happened over the last couple of decades. So it, it was it was hard. You're not gonna get rich over writing a book, I guess, unless you're somebody very, very famous. But uh, it was pretty cool not to write just one book, but to write three. To write three of them, and that's great. Where, where can people get the books? Well, again, they've been far removed, but I'm sure that you can still find them on Amazon. I don't know. I don't think they're in, in bookstores, which I'm not even sure if anybody goes to bookstores anymore. <laughs> but I think probably they all are still available. And actually, you I don't know me. You can go to LarryMcReynolds.com, and, and there's a store there. Uh, we sell several things. We sell Larry Mac, uh, America's Crew Chief T-shirts. And all three books are available on that website. So about forgot about that. <laughs> one one question I that Cody and I were talking about uh, earlier today. You you mentioned in the book uh, a lot of times your wife and your family. And I tried to explain when I was teaching how hard this sport could be on families. At the level you were at and the and the work that you were doing and the hours you were putting in, how did you hold, how, how did it all hold together for you? Well, Linda, and I'm very proud to say, um, my wife, we will celebrate our 40th anniversary on October the 29th. Good for you. And, yeah, well, thank you. And, and you know, she, it wasn't like I married her or met her and then I got in the race and became a crew chief. I was a crew chief when we met. Right. So she knew what we were getting, she was getting into. <clears throat> and I tell people all the time in my book, when you are, and maybe, and things are different today, I totally see it. But most of my years as a crew chief, when you were a crew chief, and when you were a successful crew chief, it wasn't a job, it wasn't a career, it was a life. For 18 years, it's not legal, I know, but I had two marriages. I understand. I was married to Linda, and I was married to my, my job as a crew chief. And you sacrifice a lot, and your family sacrifices a lot. You know, back then, you didn't dare miss a race because your child was being born. If one of my guys had to come to me and said, our baby's gonna be born this weekend, I can't go to the race, I would have said, well, i got an idea for you. How about if you don't ever plan on going back to another race, period? That's just the world we live in. It's a different world today. Fortunately, all three of my kids elected to be born on a weekday. Or you know what? Good for them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been there. I wouldn't have been there. Now, Kendall, my youngest, she was born on a Saturday morning 
of a Richmond race weekend. I was in Richmond. We practiced and qualified on Friday afternoon. I was working with Dale Earnhardt. This was 97. He, he let me use his plane to fly back. Kendall was born that morning. I counted her fingers and toes, told Linda, told Linda how beautiful she was. Back to Richmond, I went for the race. So <laughs> that's just the world we live in back then. Well, we got a youngster with us today, and he's got a, he's got a final question for you. Okay. Uh, Larry, you talked about earlier when you got into racing and how different it is between getting into racing back in the 70s and 80s and how it is now. So you, you, you want to know maybe what the difference is? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think the biggest difference, I think the, the one similarity is you just got to be, you got to be patient, you got to be determined, and that you're not going to give up on it. Because I think no different than 40 years ago, you're still going to get doors slammed in your face, you're still going to get that, we'll get back to you, and you never hear back from you. I don't think that's changed. But my biggest recommendation is walking through that door with some type of engineering background, some type of engineering degree. It's even, as I think I said earlier, it's what we're seeing even with crew chiefs. If you go through that cup garage today, 75% of those crew chiefs, they got an engineering background. They were previously an engineer for the team they're crew chief now for, or they were engineer for another race team. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, you need to have pages in your racing portfolio, but you better have some pages in your in your education portfolio. Well, I think that you've uh, you said it all for now, but you ain't said it all because we're going to have you back in. We we just love visiting with you. I'm sorry it took us so long to to get through this and get together and all um you've been a friend but like i say you've been a good friend to the to myself on the education side of things and uh look forward to seeing and hearing more from uh larry mcreynolds well i enjoyed it thoroughly i always enjoy sharing my story sharing my journey sharing my experiences um and i tell people i, I, I do a lot of keynote speeches and one of the things i always close it out with and I think it's fitting to almost close anything out. I, I know people don't believe that dreams can come true. And if you don't believe it, you just listened to a guy for the last hour that is walking living proof. If you believe in something, you are focused on something, you will not give up on something. I'm walking living proof that dreams can come true. And you can become the American crew chief. <laughs> that is so cool. Adam Alexander gave me that name. I, I don't give myself nicknames. He gave it to me, and obviously it stuck. We're going to let it stick because you, you're always going to be our American crew chief. Thank you for your time, Larry. Um, best of the holidays to you. I know you're going to take a little bit of a break uh, for the holidays, as much of a break as you ever take, I guess. And uh, I'm on try I still do the radio show every day, but I'm going to try to, to kind of lay a lot of the rest of it aside at least till we get through new year's then well, we'll be we'll be honed in on that daytona 500 well we're gonna we're gonna run out and buy the two books that i didn't know about and all my research and then we're gonna call you back and uh, and have some more conversations some more fun we thank you my friend all right we appreciate you guys thank y'all i have known the folks out of year one for since I was teaching, that was 30 years ago. It's we a have, long time. We have like a 40-year relationship with mm -hmm. them. And, and we, it's always been a great relationship. Uh, we've had interns work for them on different projects and hot rod power tours and things like that. But I, I wanted to give a shout-out to these people because just in, in, just in general, the way they support the movement, this crazy movement that we call cars. Oh, right. You know, you talk about going to swap meets and things like that. We, we like to hang with the people that you know, get it, mm -hmm. car-wise. And the folks that get it are working a year one. And the folks that support people that get it are the folks that go to year one. Sure. So it's a complete circle. Right. Works out great. I want to suggest that you get on their website and start getting the email blasts because they come out so often, it's hard for me sometimes to keep up with all the things on a weekly basis because sometimes we'll get three or four blasts a week. Right. And they've got it all. You know, they've got engines. They've got 
interior stuff, exterior stuff. Sure. It doesn't have to be a major project for you to get them involved. Oh, uh, yeah. Everything that I've gotten for the Mach 1, everything I got for the Nova, you mm-hmm. know, two very different cars. Sure. Everything came from year one. And, uh, you know, the folks helped me out with it. Assembly manuals, things like that. Mm-hmm. That is great stuff to have. And, you know, I know you've built projects and gone to them for the parts oh, form. Regularly. Yeah. Yeah, for all those little detail parts for the interior that you need and the, the big parts, too. Well, because you've mentioned, you know, you have an upholstery shop, obviously, Tim's Auto Upholstery. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's, you know, it's it's more cost efficient for exactly. you to go to them and get the door panels, to get right. the, you know, the stuff that's already done right. and done back in the factory. Back in the press pleat factory look exactly like it rolled off the showroom. You took the words right out of my mouth. Well, well that's <laughs> what I do. But, but if, if you want to do that, all mm-hmm. you have to do is reach out to year one. And uh, they are in Brazelton, Georgia. No, they're not. And they moved to Cornelia. They have a new facility now, uh, which is going to be really cool. And uh, we'll tell you more about that. But year one is the only folks you need to know for classic muscle car restoration. They are restoring American performance. Oh, yes. Check them out at yearone.com. Okay. Well, Tim, it is time for thank yous. If we haven't confused people enough already with this part of the podcast, Mm -hmm. uh, we had Cody Dinsmore actually be here to interview Larry McReynolds, while you were having some some back issues. Right. But we had you on in some of this podcast once you were back in the saddle, so to speak. Yeah. So we, we conglomerated it all together, kind of like the Rain-X globule thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So we got a lot of people to thank this week, mm-hmm. all right? Okay. All right. We want to thank Tim for allowing a co-host to come in and do... Uh, do yeoman's work well thanks to cody because he's a great co-host he he did a great job he's a great historian of nascar i invite you to go to his webpage, cody dinsmore and uh check out uh, his facebook page and check out some of the writings and stuff he does the history writings he gets are really very interesting oh yeah and uh you know he's grown up in in dawsonville and he he knows he lives lives and breathes yeah he, he certainly does Jacobs Media, for the use of the studios here, and the producer, Bill, DJ Bill. DJ, tell him about the DJ part. I in, will, Bud, In your best you. DJ voice. My best DJ voice. Well, well Bud, you're referring to DJ Trivia. My full-time gig is for writing and generating games for a family-friendly trivia operation that is coast-to-coast in these great United States. Log on to djtrivia.com and find a location near you. And if you're in the North Georgia listing area, you just may find me hosting one of those very games. Back to you, Bud. Thank you, Casey Kasem. All right. <laughs> very good. We would like to thank Concept One Pulley Systems, the best stuff you can buy if you're, you know, putting a car together, a classic car. Uh, forget scrounging the junkyards uh, that are still out there and you know, get the pulley systems, get the alternator you need for your car, the power steering pump, the new stuff, the mm-hmm. updated stuff. So you don't have an air conditioning compressor that looks like a Briggs and Stratton engine on your classic car like some of them used to look. Right. And, uh, you know, check them out at concept1.com. Year one, of course, the classic car, mes- m- classic muscle car restoration, folks. Let me get that right. And Lanier Technical College, where you can learn a skill that you can take coast to coast with you right. or around the world as far as that goes and uh good get stuff. an education get an education and get a job would you well because jobs that are here now you know that weren't here just a few years ago you can get updated on and, and right uh, at a tech school and you know have a, a career you can sustain for your life sure so it's good stuff and aaron hughes from green ford now wherever you're listening you probably have a ford dealership and they you know, the stuff he tells us about their dealership is the same as goes on everywhere. And it's, yeah, but it's none of those stuff. dealerships are as they, good as Green Ford. And they don't have Aaron Hughes. You got that right. And let's not forget to thank Dan and Pam for sitting in. They'll be back uh, Thanksgiving, I believe, right? Oh, yeah. All, All right. right. Good deal. Thank you, Dan and Pam. Thank you, bud. Thank you. All right, Tim, I think next week on the podcast we have got a young man coming in that does detailing i mean deep deep detailing in vehicles ceramic coatings uh, paint protection things like that and it's all stuff we need to know about because it's important in protecting your vehicle especially a new vehicle or a custom vehicle and man there are so many scams on the internet and, oh, yeah. and so much stuff out there 
Uh, he'll set you straight on that. So okay, that, I that'll can't. That'll be next week. That'll be Chris Kessler from a, yeah. a, a shop called Zero Defects, and uh, he ain't kidding about Zero Defects. Right. I so can't he'll wait be on with us next week. Remember to keep between the ditches, shiny side up. And let me remind you one, one other thing. If you want to catch our terrestrial radio show, it's on Bud's Garage, uh, WDUN out of Gainesville, Georgia. That is AM 515, FM 102.9, or access WDUN. You can also catch it on the World Wide Web. And uh, any podcast site you go to will have Bud Scratch and Bud Scratch Overdrive on it. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening, folks. We'll be back next week on Bud Scratch Overdrive. Thanks, folks.